If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. I will be reading verses 1 through 11. 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. Can you have it? Say amen. amen. If you're still going, say mercy. mercy. All right. First Corinthians, the 15th chapter, beginning with verse 1, and it reads as such. The apostle Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it, it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. Let us pray. Father, the scriptures declare this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And, oh, Father, we do lift up our voices and we do rejoice because you are God, the very God. We do rejoice because you sit on your throne in charge of all things and nothing takes you by surprise. Lord, we rejoice knowing that all we need to do is rest in you and trust in you. Father, we rejoice because of the blood shed upon Calvary's cross which delivers us from all sin and unrighteousness. We rejoice dear God for the testimony of Jesus the Christ who lived a perfect life. Father we rejoice because the indwelling of the Holy Spirit now lives in those who name the name of Jesus and gives us clarity and wisdom and discernment for each day's journey. Father we rejoice because of your revealed word that you have given to us that we may understand and know you, that we may see the mind of Christ. Oh, holy and heavenly Father, we come before you unworthy to stand, but yet covered in the blood of Jesus. And because we are covered in the blood of Jesus, we come boldly before your throne asking that you will bless us this morning, dear God. May we receive a word from on high. May you bring conviction by your Holy Spirit. May you bring transformation by your spirit. May you bring deliverance by your spirit, dear God. 
Someone this morning needs to be delivered from Satan's hands, for they are bound. And we pray now, O oh Lord, that you will loose the captives and set us free. Father, open up our minds that we may hear. Grant us eyes to see and ears to hear, O oh Lord. Father, I thank you for the great privilege it is to stand and to preach your word, for I am truly unworthy. You and I know. But Lord, use me even now. Hide me behind thy cross. May your word go out prophetically as we understand that your word will not return void, but it will accomplish everything that you have for it to do. Even now, dear God, have thine own way, both now and forevermore. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, as we look at the text, I want to walk through this portion of scripture as we begin to try and understand why the gospel is the good news. Because it's easy to show up Sunday after Sunday and to say, it's the gospel that saves, it's the gospel that saves. But really, some of us don't know the gospel. All we know is Jesus died, Jesus rose, hey. And I just need to say, Lord, come to me and I'm in. But thanks be to God that he has left us his word. That we may understand what just needs to take place in our lives. You know, the story is told how one of the most beautiful things to witness and to experience in one's life is a launch of a shuttle down in Cape Canaveral, Florida. As they prepare the shuttle for launch and you see the, the plumes of smoke begin to filter out as the countdown goes, the crowd stands some miles, many miles away for their own safety. But the people stand there to gaze at this wonderful vision, this, this wonderful thing of human ingenuity. And as man steps back, they begin to hear the engines roar. They begin to see the, the light of the fire as as the rockets ignite, and they begin to feel the tremble of the ground as the shuttle takes off. What a wonderful experience. A once-in-a-lifetime type of experience. But as the crowd goes home and the launch is over, one thing many spectators forget, that that's just the beginning of the story. Because as that shuttle launches in outer space, now it begins to orbit the earth at thousands of miles an hour it begins to orbit and, be, and begins to encapsulate the astronauts keeping them safe from the dangers in the galaxy keeping them safe from all the debris all the uh, the lack of oxygen that they would have say a window broke say the the filters stopped working say the toilet backed up on the shuttle what do you do these are things that are taking place behind closed doors for say because we don't, we don't see it. But also, not so much just the dangers that are kept from the astronauts, but also what is provided by the shuttle. 
They have a supply of food. They have a supply of water. They have a supply of oxygen. Everything they need to live is inside the shuttle. And for me and you, we may not appreciate just what takes place because we're on the outside looking in. But if you was to ask an astronaut, I guarantee he will have a great appreciation for the complexities and all that needs to take place in order for a launch to be a success, in order for the astronauts to be brought safely home. And I submit to you, saints, this morning, as we think about that shuttle, let's think about our Christian life that it's wonderful to see someone come to Christ. We see their joy. We see their happiness. We see their excitement. Then we see them take off into the atmosphere. But then once in the atmosphere, they begin to encounter the difficulties of life. And as a Christian, we need to begin to understand that same vehicle that gets you saved is the same thing that preserves you while you're out here in the universe. That same gospel which launched you into this Christian walk is the same gospel that will protect you and will keep you in difficult times. Not only will it protect you from the enemy, but it will provide everything you need to live. This gospel. My prayer this morning is that we will understand why the gospel is good news. And like the astronaut... And we need to develop an appreciation for the very thing that sustains us. So here in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, to briefly set the context, Paul is writing to this church who finds itself entrenched in a pagan society. Trying to find their way, trying to walk out this Christian walk, and in many ways, this church had become a reflection of the pagan culture in which they had lived. Hearing about this situation that they find themselves in, Paul writes a letter to this church. And, he, and, and this, this same church that he was instrumental in beginning, and he addresses many things. And he addresses the divisions in the church. He addresses the disorders in the church. And he addresses the difficulties in the church. This Corinthian church can be a model for us as a church. Because we ourselves find ourselves in the midst of a pagan society who do not love Christ, who are hostile towards the gospel, and do not love anyone who follows him. But also we find ourselves as a church being influenced by this pagan culture, trying to live a Christian life with pagan methods. We can learn much from this Corinthian church for Paul deals with growing up spiritually. Get off the milk. Get on some meat. He deals with sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is vast. Fornication, homosexuality, all types of immorality he deals with. He deals with marriage, divorce. He deals with corporate worship and how things are supposed to go. But each one of those issues in themselves are moral issues. But then Paul comes here to the 15th chapter, and he deals not with a moral issue, but with a theological issue. Because here in the 15th chapter, this church had begun, begun not to only do the immoral things, but now they began to question the resurrection of Jesus. 
Because the pagan culture had come in and said, there's no such thing as a resurrection. Don't no one rise from the dead. Paul puts the squash on that here. And he begins this passage by so clearly defining the gospel. This very thing that saved them, the very thing that allows them to stand was now under attack. So Paul addresses it right here. In doing so, the apostle begins by defining the gospel, the roots of their salvation right here. So we begin this morning by asking the question, what is the gospel? What is it? If someone was to poll you right now, if I was to point someone else, what is the gospel? Y'all like, don't do that. You and Pastor tripping today. But would you be able to define the gospel? Do you really know it? Prior to coming down here, I worked in a secular job for like 14 years in the IT industry. And I come to find out there's two types of people in the workplace. There's people who do the job, then there's people who know the job. Y'all know what I'm talking about? There's two types of people. There's people who just do the job. You tell them what they do, and they just do that, and they do that. And they, the way they don't go extra, they do just enough. They, they do the job, but it's just enough. And so they, they just do the steps, and they go step one, and step two, and step three. Let, let step four be missing. They out of control. What I do now? Step four is not in the manual. That's people who do the job. But then there's people who know their job. And the people who know their job is usually the person that people who do their job go to to understand what step four is. Because a person who knows their job don't, don't necessarily have to follow each and every step because they know what needs to be done. But not only do they know what needs to be done, they know why it needs to be done. And I submit to you this morning, saints, there's a lot of Christians who know Christianity and some that do Christianity. See, for those who do Christianity, we, we know we're supposed to go to church and we know when to say amen and when to say hallelujah. And we know when to come up in line and how just to fold the dollar right to make it look like it's actually more and drop it in. We, we, we do the job. Not here, though. Not here, though. But then there are the Christians who know Christianity. They're not so much worried about the steps. They don't have to be told when to shout hallelujah. They don't have to be told when to shout amen. Because they know when the spirit moves and the preacher has spoken the truth, they shout amen because I know that to be true. Because I've, I've experienced it. And today we can't be a people who just do the job and say, yeah, I know the gospel. We need to be Christians who know the job and say, I am a walking example of the gospel. So let us answer this question. What is the gospel? In the Greek, this word euangelion, which means good news. The textbook answer for what the gospel is would be the death burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Pastor John Piper defines the gospel this way. He says, the gospel is the, good, is the news that 
Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for our sins and rose again, eternally triumphant over all his enemies, so that now there is no condemnation for those who believe but everlasting joy. In the King James Study Bible, it defines the gospel as both a proposition and a person. As a proposition, it embraces the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But the gospel is also a person, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. To be saved, we must believe the gospel. This requires that we both receive the person of Christ as Savior and trust in his death, burial, and resurrection to save us from sin. This gospel is the very thing that Paul writes of in Romans 1.16 where he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. See, but until you have experienced the gospel personally, these are just words. These are just glossary terms. Until you have experienced the joy of salvation, you will, not, you will not truly appreciate this definition. The Lord has blessed me and allowed me to live, uh, live in many different places when I was younger, working on the job. And he allowed me to live in London for a year. And prior to going, I was a little nervous. I'm getting ready to go out of the country. And I'm asking people around the office who have been to the other office in London, like, what is London like? What do people do? Where do they go? Do they speak English? I know I'm asking all kinds of questions to kind of gauge what it's going to be like. But you know what? It wasn't until I actually went there that I knew for myself what was happening in London. And I tell you, I can stand here and, and tell you what it's like to know Jesus. I can tell you what it's like to have him deliver you from a situation you had no way out of. I, I can tell you what he's done in my life, but until you have experienced them for yourself, you will not know. You will never know. And some of you young people, you need to experience Jesus for yourself and not from your grandma or your, your mother or your father. You need to know Jesus for yourself. The gospel is the good news of Jesus rescuing man from impending wrath in store. Let's look at verse number three. For I delivered to you first, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. The gospel is the death of Jesus. When Paul declares this first portion of the gospel, I believe that he not only grasps mentally what took place on the cross, but within himself, he feels the weightiness of this statement, Christ died. Christ died for our sins. Words can only communicate so much, but if we don't understand the definition, they mean nothing. To say Jesus died for our sins is to say, firstly, Jesus is our substitute. So you understand this, Jesus did not face the death penalty because of a, uh, he, was, he was a martyr dying for his faith. That's not why Jesus died. He went to the cross as a savior, dying for my disobedience, for your disobedience. That's why he went to the cross. He went in our place. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to 1 Peter, the third chapter.
in your New Testament towards the end. First Peter, the third chapter. In verse 18. And it says, For Christ also died for sins once for all. Now watch this. The just for the who? The just for the who? The just for the unjust. So that he might bring us to God having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Jesus is our substitute, the just for the unjust. The prophet Isaiah says like this, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. When Christ died, when he went to the cross, a great exchange took place. He placed upon his back, my sins, and gave unto me his righteousness. That I may live. That I may live. The great reformer Martin Luther, Luther speaks of it this way. This is that mysterious, that mystery, which is rich in divine grace to sinners. We're in by a wonderful exchange. Our sins are no longer ours, but Christ's. And the righteousness of Christ, not Christ, but ours. He has emptied himself of his righteousness that he might clothe us with it and fill us with it. And he has taken our evils upon himself that he might deliver us from them. To say that Jesus died is to say he's my substitute. To say Jesus died is also to say that Jesus is our redeemer. And this redemption, it means liberation because of a payment. It wasn't just like, come on, I'm going to hook you up. Oh, we're going to sneak out. Follow me. It was, no, I'm going to the gate. How much does it cost? My life, here it is. He is our redeemer. Turn quickly over to Revelation, the fifth chapter. Revelation, the fifth chapter, verses nine and 10. And it reads, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and, and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign upon earth. Purchased us. In the New King James, it says redeemed. In the ESV, it says ransom. But a payment was made that we may be set free. You know, if someone was to give their life for somebody these days, say you're in the, the military and you give your life for your, your team, you receive the Medal of Honor. If, if a fireman was to give his life in the line of duty, we would give him plaques and all types of certificates. If a, a normal citizen was to give their life by rescuing someone else. We'll give them all kind of accolades. But here, Jesus rescuing all of us, and sometimes we, don't, we can't even say thank you. We lift up everybody else who's done something for us, but Jesus, who's done the most for us, we forget about. May it not be 
This divine transaction has taken place prior to Christ. You had a price on your head. Sin was holding you hostage. But through the redeeming work of the cross, we no longer need to suffer as slaves. The chains and the shackles of sin no longer keep us bound. He is our redeemer. To say Jesus died also means that Jesus brings reconciliation. See, now a new relationship for those who are in Christ. We, we, we were previously enemies with God, but now we're family. Let me make it plain. We had beef with God. There was a problem. But through Jesus, he's our friend. Through Jesus, he's our savior. Through Jesus, we're part of the family. See, we sing, we sing songs like, I am a friend of God. You know, they get going, oh, that's my jam. I am a friend of God. And we stand up and we just sing, I am a friend of God. You know, we, we, you know, we go back, you know how you be in the club. He's like, that's my jam. You start doing the snake and stuff. That's my jam because of, because of music. But can we pause for a minute and just think about what it took to be a friend of God? Because he don't hang out with just anybody. But he hangs out with those who knows his son. Those are his friends. God loves us. And he has shown us. To say that Jesus died for our sins is to say that Jesus is the propitiation for sin. I like that. That's a good church word, propitiation. It's a good church word. This word propitiation means the turning away of wrath by an offering. Jesus being our propitiation means that he has turned away the wrath of the Father by his atoning sacrifice. You don't have to turn, but John 3 and 36 says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. Those who know Jesus, we're, we're okay. Those who have trusted the Savior, we're okay. See, for whatever reason, we think that our beef is with Satan. That Satan is the one we have to reconcile with. That Satan is the one we have to appease. But understand this, it is God who will have wrath on us. And I, I like how John 3.36 reads because he said, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life. I like how it goes, believes, obey. Believes, obey. Because I can say I believe, but not obey. I can, I, can, I, I can say I believe, but not obey, but I can't obey unless I believe. See, I can believe and not obey, but I can't obey unless I believe. And as Christians, we need to obey as an outward sign that I believe. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. To say that Jesus died for our sins means more than words could ever convey. The gospel is the death of Jesus. So not only is the gospel the death of Jesus, the gospel is the burial of Jesus. Verse 4, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 4. And that he was buried. Simple. But yet this statement is not insignificant. 
Because to say Jesus was buried testifies to the fact that an actual death took place. It's proof in here, right here in the text. The burial is the reality and totality of his death. There is there's to be no understanding, no, no misinterpretation about Jesus' physical death on the cross. He did not faint. He did not pass out. He did not fake it. He died. He died. Without the confirmation of his death, those trying to deny the power of the cross will have a greater argument. Because even now, those within the Islamic faith will say that it was not Jesus on the cross, but Judas. Therefore, nullifying Jesus as the Son of God. His burial is important to understand. It took place. Not only that, but the burial of Jesus fulfills prophecy validating the prophets of old. Isaiah 53 now reports, and they made his grave with the wicked but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. He died. The gospel is the burial of Jesus. So not only is the gospel the death of Jesus, the gospel is the burial of Jesus, but the gospel is the resurrection of Jesus. Verse 4, And he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. This resurrection of Christ is of supreme importance. For the resurrection unifies and completes this gospel message. If Christ did not rise from the grave, there would be no salvation. If Christ did not rise from the grave, that would mean he's a liar and that he had sin. And now he cannot go to the cross and be the sinless sacrifice because he lied. Matthew 20 and 18 and 19 reports that, behold... We are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes. And they will con condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify. And the third day he will rise again. He said it. If Jesus did not rise, he would be a liar. Is your Lord a liar? The world seems to believe that. Further down in First Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul explains that, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. That's why we talk about the resurrection so much. To say Jesus rose on the third day confirms what the scripture says when it reports that death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, Hades, where's your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, death would still have power over us. See, but because he did rise from the grave, Paul is able to report, to live is Christ, to die is gain. 
because he lives. No one else can make claims to this resurrection but Jesus. Last time I checked, Buddha was still in the grave. Last time I checked, Confucius was still in the grave. Last time I checked, Muhammad was still in the grave. But Jesus lives and he sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession on my behalf. And I'm glad he did because if he didn't, I would be in trouble. And every other so-called prophet, if, they, if they're not in the grave yet, they're on their way. But Jesus lives. This, this gospel is the good news of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. It is of utmost importance. The gospel is the good news because it's the best news. For through the gospel we are saved. Having a firm grasp of the gospel. Now what do I do with this thing? What do I do with this gospel? So the last question this morning is how does the gospel affect your everyday life? What role does the gospel play in your life? That is... Almost a self-answering question because for the believer, the gospel is not part of your life. The gospel is your life. It's not a piece. It's not a portion. It's not a merit badge. It's not a sticker. The gospel is your life. Just as the astronaut is committed to the mission once the shuttle is launched, we must be committed to the transformation that the gospel brings into our lives. For because he died, we now live for righteousness. First Peter 2.24 says, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whom stripes you were healed. We now live for righteousness. We now live to be pleasing unto God and not pleasing unto man. We want our Father happy with us. We pursue godliness now. Because he was buried, we are free to walk in the newness of life. Romans 6 and 4 says, Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in the newness of life. Has your life changed? Can your homeboys and homegirls from 5, 10, 15 years ago see you now and say, What has happened to you? Or do they roll up on you like, hey, the party down here, come on. Has change taken place in your life? Because he rose from the grave, we now, we now have the victory in Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because we have the victory, we now know that if God be for us, who could be against us? Because of the gospel. I know I have victory. I can walk with my head held high, not hung low, because my victory is not in man's accomplishments, but in God's glory. I don't have to be distraught. I don't have to be weighed down. I have victory in Jesus. When the gospel has saturated over every pore and fiber of your life, that's when we live out Romans 8.37, and it says, Yet in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Believers must start holding on to the gospel in their lives. 
When things start taking a turn for the worse, hold on to the gospel. When depression and despair begin to set in, hold on to the gospel. When temptations begins to get the best of you, you hold on to the gospel. When you're frustrated on the job, you hold on to the gospel. When your husband won't act right, you hold on to the gospel. When your wife is doing all kinds of things, you hold on to the gospel. When your kids don't lost their mind, you hold on to the gospel. When you get a bad report from the physician, you hold on to the gospel. When your teachers are getting on to your nerves, you hold on to the gospel. When you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, you hold on to the gospel. There are going to be times when you think you can't make it. There are going to be issues and difficulties. There's going to be times when you fall, when you find yourself flat on the floor. Don't give up. Because the power is not in you, it's in him. And you hold on to the gospel. You lay hold to the gospel and let Jesus lift you up. As followers of Christ, there will be times when we just feel like we've been crucified. And as followers of Christ, there will be times that we feel like we just died. And there's times as believers where we feel like we're in the grave. But I'm so glad that Paul reports to us that on the third day. Because there's going to be some all-day Friday nights. There's going to be some all-day Saturday nights. But glory be to God, there's an early one Sunday morning that Jesus will lift you up because he rose with all power in his hand. God is faithful because of the gospel. Because I know when Jesus rose, he gave me victory. I know when Jesus rose, he gave me hope. I know when Jesus rose, he gave me peace. Because on the third day, he rose. That is the gospel. It's easy to lose sight of the gospel sometimes. That's exactly why we need a refresher course. See, there was a time in my life where I wondered what those great theologians meant when they would say that they would preach the gospel to themselves. I'm like, they, they, they saved already. Why do they need to preach the gospel to themselves? Because now I know. It was not a one-time event that got me saved. It's an, it's an eternal, everlasting thing that keeps me saved. It's a thing that protects me and supplies and nourishes and lifts up and gives me hope. The gospel. The gospel is the death of Jesus. Here's our substitute. Here's our redeemer. He is our reconciliation. He is our propitiation. The gospel is the burial of Jesus. His death was real, as prophesied. And the gospel is the resurrection of Jesus. Our faith secure, death no longer able to rule over us. This is why the gospel is good news. Let us pray. Holy Father, we do thank you for the gospel. For as scripture declares, it is the power unto God unto salvation. And for, Father, for those who are on the outside looking in, Father, I pray that you will have given them a glimpse just what took place in order that we may be saved. And may we have a greater appreciation for the gospel this day, O oh Lord. 
For truly, as the scripture says, we live and move, and in you we have our being because of the gospel. And Father, this day I pray that the gospel will deliver somebody from situation and circumstance. Father, for that one who is struggling, deliver them. For that one who just about to fall over, deliver them. For that one who has no hope, deliver them. For the one that is depressed, deliver them by the power of the gospel. Father, may you bring transformation because of the gospel. And Father, we'll be careful to give you all thanks and honor because of the gospel. In Jesus' name, we do pray. Amen. So the question that is before us this day, where do we go from here? For the unbeliever, will you trust in the gospel? Will you trust in the gospel today or will you continue to reject the gospel? Will you continue to reject the one who loves you so much? You're holding on to this world like it's going to do something in the next. But believe me, when you hold on to God, you hold on to everything. For the believer, will you hold tightly to the gospel and allow Jesus to bring transformation into your life? Or are you just satisfied you get off the launch pad? Or do you want to live a life that's full because the sustaining power of the gospel? See, it's the gospel that makes Christianity different from every other religion. It's the gospel that makes us different from the Muslims. Makes us different from the Latter-day Saints. Makes us different from everyone else. Because contained within the gospel is not man attempting to get to God. It's God reaching down and grabbing man. That is the gospel. So even now, the scripture says that if you confess the Lord Jesus Christ with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Romans 10, 13 tells us that for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I like that whosoever because I was a nobody. So I like the whosoever because I was dirty. I like the whosoever because I was poor and now whosoever meant me. The whosoever means you. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if you are in need of salvation, as we open the doors of the church, you can come and we can show you from the scriptures what must I do to be saved. You can also come if you are a believer who has never took part in believer's baptism and say, yeah, I've been saved, but I, I, I've never done the external expression of the internal change. You can come and we can baptize you. But if the Lord is leading you to this place of glory and, and, and the Lord is speaking to you saying, Forest is the place where I need to be, you can come for church membership. So whether you're needing salvation, baptism, or church membership, you can come as we stand and sing our closing song.
also for those who are just in need of prayer, you can come as well. And the ministers and deacons will pray for you.